Welcome on into a super Sunday night edition of Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim and Ryan with you here in Las Vegas, my co-host all the way over in New York City, at least for another week, Mr. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. Tom, they always talk about the countdowns to this, the countdowns to that. So tonight is the countdown to Tom Barton finally returning to Las Vegas. I'm going to get off the plane, Tim. It's going to be really weird. I'm going to jump off the plane, stand at McCarran Airport, well, while it's still McCarran Airport, uh, stand there, and everyone's going to be looking at me. You're going to go, Barton has finally returned. <laughs> and I might get locked up on the way there. But, yeah, I cannot wait to come back, Tim. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, for somebody like me that from – when I was 21 years old until I was, what, 41 years old or 42 years old for 20 years, coming to Las Vegas every single month, spending about a week every single month. I've stayed extended time, three, four months at a clip, basically lived there. I used to have my mailing address. I mean, for all of that to not be there now was the equivalent of two and a half years. It, it's like it's like losing somebody that you love. So I can't wait to reunite with the city. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see the fans. I know some fans were writing us last night, Tim. I got a message when we got off the air. Can't wait to come down. So it's going to be fantastic. It really is uh, something that it is near and dear to my heart. And I just can't wait to be back finally. And really, we're going on, <clears throat> what, three years, Tom? I mean, we had Atlantic City, which was important for you to be there. Then we had that travesty of misjustice with COVID. And then again, last year really wasn't the time, right, Tom, to, to do this. But I think I think we've uh, we've stumbled across what what needed to be done and getting you back out here. You know, we we finagled a little bit. Maybe maybe you can come out for the NBA playoffs. Maybe you can come out for um, the draft. But we decided, you know what, let's let's do it like we always do. And that's NFL Week One. We're going to be on the strip, not in the flower bed, but we're going to be on the strip, Tom, and we're going to have some fun, man. Yeah, I absolutely can't wait. You know, it, it is pumped up. It's kind of the not only the homecoming for me, but, you know, as far as what I'm doing and, and just a personal career move, a personal move myself, it's refocusing on the things that are important. And, and it's important to be in Vegas. You know, it's important to be with you. It's important to come back to this. Not that I was ever, uh, you know, half, you know, wanting it. Right. I just don't do that. You know me. Um, but it was always important to me to be around the city, to be around uh, the city that we're covering, really, and to be around fans. I like the interaction. I've been a radio guy, and I was just actually talking uh, you know, off the air. I've been a radio guy for now more than 25 years. And while there are factions of different things that lure me away, and I'm doing YouTube now, I'm doing television spots, I do guest spots all over the place – Radio is still the passion. And the radio is the passion because I think it's the listeners, Tim, right? And the interaction live with the listeners is just fantastic. And it's not come on down, ask me questions. No, we hang out, right? I mean, remember how much how great of a time we had Fernando coming down and me and Ron doing the live shows uh, in the middle of the live show. People running up, you know, fans running up and getting us beer runs and stuff. I mean, it's, it's real. It's fun. It connects. And I think that this business – the entertainment business and sports entertainment business uh, particularly, I think it gets lost on people sometimes that we're not here to hear ourselves talk. Uh, no offense, Tim, I'm not here for you. You're not here for me. We're here for fans and people that are listening. 
you hit the nail on the head, Tom. It's not only is it a a celebration of the NFL season. We, you know, with the exception of the last couple of years, we've done this historically. We always try to find somewhere to do, do the show because we do want the fans to come out and see us. And whether it's three guys that show up or twenty guys, like at Hooters, the the last time we were there, Tom, it's it's just fun to be able to see the faces, shake the hands of the guys that listen to the show. They interact with us on now on Twitter. Back then it was Facebook Messenger or um, however else they got a hold of us. Sometimes it was phone calls to the to the radio station. So, you know, for us being Tom, when I say this, please listen, everybody, carefully. When I say we are the longest-running local show in Lotus right now, over 12 years straight, and that's in one one show. This show has never changed. It's never changed hosts. It's never changed anything. We, we like to say thank you and give back and let everybody come out. They can jump on with us, Tom, and give their predictions for the season. That's another fun thing we do, kind of like the Super Bowl show that we do. But um, this is going to be good. This is, you know, I'm, I'm pumped up. We're well, we're two weeks out, but I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go, man. You know, the, the other thing I do like, and, and I will absolutely say it's just uh, – it's something I really do enjoy is coming out and seeing the people around town. I mean, I always got to visit Jake Hornady. You know, that was that was always kind of fun to say hi to him. This year, I'm going to sit down, try to have dinner with Rob Mish. I'm going to sit down, try to have dinner with Dave Sherapin. Uh, guys that I consider friends now. You know, they are generally friends. And you sit down, we're going to have a couple of drinks. And I, I'm going to get you out, Tim. I know you're not going to have any drinks, but I'm going to get you out. I'm going to have dinner with you. going to hang out with you. Uh, as you often say, uh, you know, if you're not my best friend, you're you're – uh, if you're not my best, you are my best friend, but if I'm not yours, I got to be in the top five. Yes. And just not to be your best friend for a couple of years, you know, it's something that um, it needs writing. It needs to, to be corrected. It will be corrected in a couple of weeks. You're my best friend that I can count and I've seen on my hand or seen in person on my, it, it's probably a little bit over two handsfuls in our lifetime, but that that's all right, man. You know? Well, it is funny because people ask us all the time, um, you know, Hey, how, how, how do you guys get along so well on the air and how do you get along? And I've said things to my wife and you know, how you check texts or you say things and I've said things to, to my wife. I said, Oh yeah, I said this to Tim. And she's like, Oh, did, did, did he understand what you meant? I was like, yeah, I don't have to explain things. to him. <laughs> Right. And I've told you, I've told you in business meetings that I've had uh, for things that are, that are not related to specifically heat wave sports. I've had business meetings and I've spoken for you. And I've turned around to Abby and I said, ah, you know, I said this, you know, I'm looking at this angle for, for Heatway Sports. And she's like, oh, is Tim okay with that? And I'm like, yeah, I know Tim well enough. <laughs> you know, now I'll talk to you. And you'll go, yeah, that's exactly what I would have said. That's exactly the direction I would have gone in. I think it's just the camaraderie that uh, that really does give the, the realism to the show as well. I think that people realize that when we do the show, we're not doing it for clicks. I think that people realize that when we do the show, um, we're not doing it to, to get a reaction. This is just generally the way that things really are and the way that we really feel about stuff. And that, again, thank you to the fans for uh, sticking around with us and really understanding that the realism is there. You mean we're not saying things about Vegas sports teams on purpose to get a reaction out of anybody? We're not, we're not doing that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, but isn't that just the culture now? You know, everybody wants to be, everybody wants to have that highlight and they put it on their Twitter account for like, you know, what, 5,000 people, 10,000 people. And they say, oh, well, I said this, or I said this first, or it wasn't this a crazy take by me or, but you know, not everything has to be a crazy take, you know, not everything has to be this outlandish differing opinion. It's just 
say what you feel, be honest about it. And the, the realism is really what leads people to like our show and why we get such great feedback is realism. Do you feel that I would say, especially Twitter nowadays that, um, you know, you always call them the keyboard warriors or the, what, what used to be the telephone tough guys. Now you hide behind the keyboard cause you can write whatever you want. And then, just because it's a different take than what the majority is, you, you stand by that take no matter what, even when you're proven wrong with facts. That's what we always talk about, Tom, right? If you tell me the facts and they're right, I'll agree with you. But if you tell me something that's opinionated, that gives me the right to have an opinion as well. So, for instance, UNLV football and how just the, just the range of tweets, Tom, it'd be amazing. I know you saw a lot of them. You had guys talking about undefeated seasons. You had guys talking about the best team in in over a decade. You know, just ridiculous things based on a win in their opening game against a school that probably shouldn't even be Division One. And then you have people acting like the, you know, um, that they're the biggest fans ever, but they were nowhere to be found the last few years. Do you feel that the Twitter explosion kind of ruins uh, enjoying sports for some people? I think it does. You know, I always keep myself grounded. I, I didn't do Twitter for a long time. And then I got some advice from people that, uh, you know, were agent friends of mine, not my agent. I'm not, uh, not that guy. Right. But agent friends of mine. And they're like, look, you know, you have to, you just have to have a social media kind of presence. You have to do. It. So I started to do it and I, and I got out there and I started to enjoy it, but I always have to kind of bring it back to, it. and only about 20% of Americans say they even have Twitter. Out of those 20%, about 5% of Americans say they check Twitter more than once a week. It's a place, a sounding board, like you said, to be a telephone tough guy, to be a, a as you said, keyboard warrior. It's for people to come out and make outlandish claims, ridiculous comments with absolutely no backing behind it. Um, it's very rarely a place to have an intellectual conversation, very rarely a place to have a debate um, I feel like most of that is not the real fan base. Now we do often use Twitter to reach out to the fan base and you go onto the Twitter blogs and you see people, what they're talking about because it is a lightning rod. Look, a lot of times it's a good instant reaction, but you do have, and I don't even think this is a Twitter thing. I think it's a social media thing. And I honestly think it's a social thing. Now you just have a lot of people that, when they're proven wrong, they will just deflect. I mean, we see it right now in the media. We see it in politics. We see it in sports. You can argue sports with straight facts, numbers, statistics. They are there. But you're never going to change someone's opinion that doesn't want to listen to reality. They don't want to listen to facts. They don't want to listen to these things. Time and time again, and I have, look, I have some opposing takes. I have some controversial things. But I come back with, hey, here's stats, here's numbers to back up what I will say. Here's reality to back up what I will say. There is a, a pivot in Twitter. And it's really easy to say something ridiculous, go completely insane on Twitter, say something uh, outlandish as anything. And, and then the guy with like 11 followers, you know, turns around and he's disappeared. Because you don't have to have that give and take. And I... I Try not to get upset about Twitter, but it does. It, it does annoy me in a lot of situations because what are we talking about? You know, I, I mean, just just to give you an example, um, and I know you said UNLV. Just to give you an example, last night somebody wrote 
that that was the best UNLV win in 10 years. Okay. Not that outlandish of a prediction of a, of a response. It's not something that would normally get people going crazy. So there was a back and forth, and I wasn't involved in it. And people were going, how, how can you have the best win in years, in, in a decade, if it was against a subpar team? You have to be a good team for it to be a meaningful win. And instead of, I thought that the guy would respond with something like, look, it's a new regime, it's a new culture, a new building, it's setting the tone, it's an offensive explosion. Like, rather than that, guess what was called? Name calling, you're an idiot, goodbye, bro, the end. And that is Twitter, and I think that that's unfortunately the world we live in. But that was, and that was a legitimate take. I didn't agree with it. I don't agree with that. That's the best win in 10 years of the program. I think it's, it's a bad take. I was willing to listen to the argument and read the argument, I should say. And there just wasn't. And that's the thing with Twitter. You can say something, sneak out, never talk to that person again, and you're kind of living free in that guy's head. Well, I know you wanted my take on it, Tom, so we might as well start there. You know, we football 1-0, and 1-0. They knock out Idaho State last night, 52-21 over at Allegiant Stadium. In the home, in the home opener, season opener for both schools, and um, I, I know you spent a little bit of time on this on the show last night, Tom, and a lot of positive, positive feelings here in Las Vegas after that win, Tommy. Everybody seemed to be very happy about what they saw, and here's what I said last night: You should be, should be very happy with what you saw. We saw two explosive wide receivers that are, are going to be matchup problems. We saw a solid running game. Right, Robinson looked good, even though you know, he didn't get the, the massive yards. Okay, uh, the quarterback play was outstanding—350 yards, four touchdowns at the half. Absolutely great. They beat up and did exactly what they should have done. But I did make a point to say last night, guys, remember who it was against. Remember that not only who it was against. Remember you got out of the first quarter with a 10-7 lead, and, and they it, oh, look. You said it to me. They could have scored again easily, maybe once, maybe twice more. So the defense still looks problematic. They won the game by 30-plus points, Tim. There's not a lot of negatives to come away from this. Enjoy the win. Enjoy what you have. But I didn't watch that game and leave thinking anything differently than I kind of thought going in. I thought UNLV was going to be offensively a much better team this year. I thought UNLV offensively would be able to beat up on smaller teams like this. I thought UNLV had some explosiveness on offense. My whole concern was always with the defense and always with the line play, which is an undersized defensive line, which over the course of the last couple of years we've seen can be run on. So nothing really changed because you beat a team by 30 points or 31 points that you were supposed to win by 27. You had a little bit of a different day. Yeah. Facts, right? The facts are the Rebels are 1-0. and the facts are, it was a, it was a, like you said, it was a nice win. It really was. 52s. Anytime you put 50 points up, Tom, you got to feel good. Offense was clicking. We went through all that. It was on uh, home field. Crowd crowd could have been a lot better, I thought. But, hey, you know, you if you win, they're going to come. That's just the mentality. We know that. <clears throat> now they get a week off, and then they, they open up on the – or they open their road schedule against Pac, Pac-12 school Cal on the, on the road. The facts for me are they beat a school in Idaho State that is debatable, Tom, to be even a D1 school out of the Big Sky Conference. They are horrendous. There's no doubt about that. 
That's the, facts fact. are, the facts are they were outscored 14-7 in the second half, which means to me uh, not even that the, the with the backups playing. So that's a question mark for what you're looking at depth-wise later in the year. But they gave up some big plays to Idaho State in that first half. So you said it, defense in transition, getting getting their their ground or their bearings under them. Okay, but th- but the fact is they gave up some big plays, and the fact is that they probably probably for sure gave up another score that that Idaho State didn't capitalize on, and maybe another one later on. So that big thirty point win down to 23 you don't cover the spread and if they get that other touchdown now you're in you know territory you shouldn't be in so a win's a win i can't take that away from anybody because it's positive i saw a lot of negatives which i think everybody can see out of any first game tom that you're going to find positives and negatives but again the way that this town is with their teams whether it's the raiders now the Golden Knights, even the Aces I saw today, the gravy train was full over at the Michelob Ultralight Arena. The way this city is, you'd think that this team just qualified for the Final Four and and are heading to a college football playoff, and that is not the case. Let's see how they do out of these next three games. Like, we originally broke it down, and Tommy, we broke the first part of the schedule down into four games, and we said this was a win. So like you said, I backed that up. Nothing has changed from that. No, and that's my opinion. Nothing has changed at all. Uh, I, I want to ask you just an overall feel, and I, I want your opinion. We didn't talk about this before time, so I'm kind of throwing it to you, Cold. Why is it that Northeastern teams and uh, even some Midwestern teams, but mostly Northeastern teams, everything is going well and they find the negatives, where it seems like, but specifically Las Vegas, and everything's going solid, it's the greatest thing ever. And let me give you an example. Uh, the New York Mets, the New York Yankees are in first place. Every newspaper, every column, every single radio show is just bashing the Yankees and bashing the Mets, all the problems that they have, all the issues they have. Philadelphia is making a charge. They won six games in a row before today, the, the Phillies. Uh, you turn on you know, WIP in Philadelphia, what are you going to hear? This team's terrible. What are they doing? This is awful. Uh, when... The Patriots are a playoff team. It's not enough. This team's terrible. They Even after they win the Super Bowl, well, they're not going to do it again next year. There's a Northeastern attitude with sports teams that the, 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 the worst is yet to come. Where with Las Vegas, and specifically it is Las Vegas, there's always the bright side. Well, you know what? Listen, UNLV, uh, yeah, they win one game. Oh, oh man, they're going to Mountain West Conference Championship game. Um, the Golden Knights, with all their problems, all their issues, all their everything last year, we got ripped apart time and time again when I said, listen, Vegas is going to have a terrible year. Vegas is going to have a bad year to their standards. Oh, you're crazy. You're insane. Well, here you go. The Raiders last year, guys, they're they're barely a playoff team, right? They're going to fight to get into the playoffs. I said that before the year. I'm saying the same thing again this year. Oh, come on. They're going to the AFC Championship. Why is it the rose-colored glasses are so bright in Las Vegas? My initial response would be because this is a city that's not used to winning, Tom. They haven't won anything. We have zero professional sports championships. We have one big-time collegiate national championship. Um, <clears throat> so maybe the the hope is always going to be there for, for the fans that have endured losing in Las Vegas time and time and time again. 
and the other side, the other factor that I think brings it up is that they're just they're just not big. They're just not. Let's just put it this way: they're not sports fans like sports fans in the Northeast are. And I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. It, it's uh, fair weather more so here than out there day to day. That's like the, the bloodline. You know what's just going on with your team every day, every morning. You're turning on the radio. You're turning on the online shows. You're reading the paper if you have it. Everything about those teams that you are involved in, whereas here it's, oh, the Knights win last night? Oh, no? Oh, they're terrible anyway. You know, that's just how that's how people are, and we see it when they're winning. They're the biggest fans ever. But when they're losing, jump on the bandwagon about bashing them because it's just a thing to do out here. And I think it's because, number one, they're not true sports fans, the majority of them. And two, they don't know how to win, Tom. They just don't know what it's like to win because the expectation is you should win all the time at that point. Tim, do you think that there's a little bit of the idea that the city was built on hope? The city's built on on not specifically, but the city's built on – Hey, I could spin this roulette wheel and change my life. You know, I could come here and become a an actress, a dancer, a, an entertainer. I can build my hope and my dreams here. And, and it's a hopeful exuberance instead of just, well, you know what? Uh, I, I, I'm looking at this team. I'm dedicated to this team and I see some holes. Do you think it has to do with the city itself? Yeah, I, I do. <clears throat> Look, you know, majority of the fans – of, of teams out here are transplant fans, right? So either A, they're coming from somewhere where they were not even, I don't think, I, I don't even want to say that they're really true sports fans from where they came from, Tom. And it's just, it's the thing to do out here is to root for the home team, right? That's that's how you feel one with your city. But the problem is, at least for me when I see it, and I'll give you an example, is I was watching the end of the, the Yankees ace today and you guys and your boys end up losing. So you split with Oakland, right? Which is unacceptable in your house. I know that if that was a Vegas team though, and they split, Hey, we won, we won, we won two of the four. That's, that's just the way they look at it. And I don't know why that is, but I'm just going to assume because they just don't know how to be a fan of, of a professional team. I, you know, you should expect the best from your team at every time. You shouldn't be looking for positives in a loss. It doesn't make sense to me. No, and this isn't bashing Vegas at all. This is more of, like I've said time and time again, um, managing expectation. You know, here we go again. You go into a season, and we talked about this two weeks ago. You go into a season, UNLV football, and I ask UNLV fans, what is your expectations? Where do you want to go to? What's a successful season? And if your successful season's a bowl game and you don't get there, you're going to be let down. In my opinion, Vegas is a four-win team. We talked about it. Maybe they could win five. Five is a successful season. Four, I don't know, mediocre, right? That, that's where my expectations for this team is. Now suddenly you win game one. You win game one in this fashion. You win game one in this eye-popping, stats all over the place, explosive offense kind of fashion. I re-ask the question to Vegas fans, and I go, okay, what do you expect now? You know, almost every Vegas fan that I talk to now expects a better result. Yet two weeks ago, they all expected to win the first game and to cover in that game, which means they expected to win by four touchdowns. They won by four touchdowns, right? Um, yet the expectations have changed. Almost to a man, any Vegas fan that I've spoken to, all right, hey, good win, right? Ah, nice win. What do you think of this team? 
Oh, man, they're going to be better than I thought. It's one win. Oh, they're going to be better than I thought. That's the managing expectations thing that I try to kind of instill. Like, guys, look, you haven't hit that bad part of your schedule. You, you haven't you haven't done it. And I'm not just talking about Vegas, by the way. I look at that like a team like the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, third worst record, oh, well, the third easiest record last year, going from that to now I think they have like the eighth hardest record. It's managing expectations. You can't expect the Bengals to have the same kind of year next year, uh, this year meaning. Uh, because it's a different schedule, it's a different team, there's different expectations that you have. Vegas, goal, the Golden Knights, did it year after year. They set themselves up to a Stanley Cup championship or bust. We watched the basketball team consistently do it. Mountain West championship or bust. And here we are with the football team. And we're talking about the football team and we're saying two weeks ago, two weeks ago, people are going, look, five, six wins is a great year. Five, six wins is a good year. Most people that we spoke to, Tim, what they what were they saying? About six wins. They were getting a bowl game. Okay, almost all UNLV fans were getting a bowl game after they beat a barely FBS team. Uh, barely beat, uh, beat covered the spread. Right, they covered it by four points. They go out there, and now all of a sudden, six wins isn't enough for them. They expect more. They expect a better year. That's the expectations that I can't get behind. And where do the expectations come from? Because if you look at what the books say, they're very, very good at what they do, right, Tom? We said four, four and a half. You're, you're basing these expectations, and I'm talking about the so-called fans on, oh, we should make a bowl game this year. Where do you get that from when the last two years you've won zero and two games? Oh, we had a great recruiting class. Says who? The experts say that? Well, we all know how that goes, Tom. You know, recruits are recruits until they make themselves into stars. Um because Coach Royo said that, hey, the guy that's what the guy's job is to do is to pump and build the program, not only to get excitement behind it, but to protect himself as well, Tom, because eventually he's going to have to win games and get to a bowl game or he's not going to be here anymore. We already know that. So let's see. But we always we always say it's overreaction Sunday after the NFL. That's our big thing on this show. Well, it was overreaction Saturday last night because, like you said, that win – is exactly what it was. It was a win, nothing more. Had that been a loss, though, right, Tom? Now it's open season on the UNLV program, but they get the win. They avoid that embarrassment of another opening uh, game loss. But for me, it doesn't Tim, move the needle. You mentioned Twitter. A reporter in Las Vegas, I'm not going to throw him under the bus, a reporter in Las Vegas responded to people talking about the game and said, nobody expected this kind of win. And this is what I mean. Well, the spread was 27. At game time, I know that it places it went off at 27 and a half. They won by 31. What do you mean nobody expected this kind of win? Right? I mean, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. What, do you, what are you talking about? Nobody expected this kind of win. It wasn't It wasn't a 60-point win with a 14-point spread, Tim, right? You, you put the spread at 27 and a half. There are people that believe that you're going to win this game by 30. It's not a crazy expectation. And that was a reporter that is reporting on this team. Nobody expected this kind of win. I think plenty of people did. What's more impressive, Tom? Uh, 31-0 or 52-21? 31-0, right? Absolutely. Right. And that's that's going to be, if everybody wants to say that I'm a hater or this and that, all I have to say is you gave up 21 points to a team that – here, here's the funny thing that there's a group of us that 
call it like it is, and you would be in that group, Tom. And one of the texts I got said, uh, update for next week's game, Bishop Gorman minus three over Idaho State. I mean, we're all laughing about it, but that's kind of the way we looked at it. Well, I said last night, you know, I'm really interested in next week's game because Idaho State plays Fresno State. Um, San Diego let's State. See what, oh, San Diego State, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let, let's see what that number is, right? Let's see yeah. what that final score is. If Idaho State puts up 24, 21, 24 points on them, then you go, okay, listen, maybe our Idaho State's twos uh, have a little juice in them. Maybe their offense is a little bit better. But like you just gave, you gave that that number. If San Diego State wins 31 nothing. Now I'm looking at UNLV in a completely different uh, skewed light, right? I'm going, eh, that game wasn't that great. It's not obviously the same thing. It's different opponents. They got one game under their belt. But it gives you an idea. And I'll go back to two weeks from now. Since we talked about two weeks ago. Two weeks from now, if UNLV goes to Cal, okay, and they get spanked, and they lose 52 to 10, people are going to be jumping off the bandwagon. Oh, my God. There you go. Same old UNLV. And guess what? I'm going to be steady Eddie going, yeah, that's about what the UNLV team is supposed to be. They're supposed to win the first game, win it convincingly, probably going to lose the second game. I, I'm actually believe, I actually believe that UNLV can play close in that game. I just don't think they're going to win it. But I'm telling you how this fan base kind of goes up and down. Next week or in two weeks when they do lose to Cal, just don't get too down about it. The North Texas game is the game that I have circled – that is the game that will tell you, is this a five-win team that has a potential outside shot of a bowl, or is this more close to a three-win team? Right. And then you open up conference play on the road at Utah State, which is not a gimme game. So a lot a – lot, you're right. It changes a lot week to week. But where will we sit at the end of September with the UNLV team five games in? We'll see. And, and that's – kind of going to lead into the, the meatier part of the schedule, Tom. Yeah, that, that tough part of the schedule is just brutal. It really is brutal. I, I guess before we, we hit the first time out, this was, I wouldn't say breaking as of like the show going in the air, but it did happen a little earlier tonight, Tom, and we wanted to touch on it that Washington rookie running back, uh, Brian Robinson, third-round pick out of Alabama, who had just been named the starter by head coach Ron Rivera, was shot tonight numerous times. In, uh, I guess it's an attempted robbery, it looks like. And he is in the hospital stable. But uh, great, just craziness when you see things like this. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we have to say, of course, we hope he gets well. It is not life-threatening. It's not seemed to be life-threatening, which is good. I read from Ron Rivera. He met with him. He was in good spirits and, and all of that. Okay, great. But from an on-the-field standpoint, that's what we have to do, Tim. I hate to be the, the guy with the cold heart. But from an on-the-field standpoint, this hurts Washington, who was already without Chase Young for the first four games. Brian Robinson, by most accounts, had already won the starting running back job. A Antonio Gibson has looked bad so far here uh, early on in, in camp. And you look at a Washington team that – Two years ago, they had all kinds of expectations. Two years ago, that defense was fantastic. You look at a Washington team scrambling for a quarterback with Carson Wentz, who has not looked good in the preseason. Now they're looking for a new running back. Their defensive lineman, that is the stalwart of their defense, is out. Uh, their, their best defensive safety got hurt two years ago. He's never been the same. This is a Washington team that suddenly, all of a sudden, you look at and you go, man, I know it's bad luck, and I know it's a lot of things that can't go your way. 
But how long can they go down this direction? I mean, if you're sitting there and you're in last place in this division, this is another season without a playoff. How long can they continue to keep just rolling out the same? It's not Brian Robinson's fault. It's not Ron Rivera's fault. But when we're talking about on the field, my complete identity for the Washington Commanders this year is completely different. And we don't know how long he's going to be out, right, Tom? This could be a season, right? We don't don't know. Look, I'm not a doctor. I can't speculate. But you get shot in the lower half of your body and you're a running back. You're talking about extended absence, right? I mean, I think it's fair to say extended absence. And it's numerous gunshot wounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not one. It's still a lower part of the body. It's great that he's going to survive, and I hope he makes a full recovery. And, man, am I rooting for him. Oh, boy, am I rooting for this guy, right? I mean, the whole country should be rooting for him now. Uh, But from an X's and O's standpoint, you've got to move Washington all the way down your list. We're going to talk about the NFC later on today. Washington was not a team that I had in the playoffs, but Washington was a team – I thought could win, you know, maybe like eight games. I'm moving them down the list, not only because of this, but also because of the Chase Young move. Yeah. McKissick out. Gibson's terrible camp, like you said, absolutely horrible. After, uh, I would say, a disappointing year last year, right, right, Tom, coming off of a a solid year the the year before that. So he's going the wrong direction. McKissick's banged up. They're probably going to be looking at the, the waiver wire to bring some depth in. But uh, like you said, when you haven't even played a snap of the regular season and, and really your offensive game plan is thrown, <laughs> it's thrown to the – just toss it right out the window. you got to figure something out here, Ron Rivera. And your defense is hurting as well. I had him pegged – you know, it's no secret here. Like you said, we're going to do this in hour two. I had him last in the NFC East as it was, but the win total goes down for me as well. Yeah, this is why I tell people all the time when they're asking me for my betting advice – TomBartonSports.com, I put stuff out and I go, I bet futures plays twice before the season. The day after the Super Bowl, it is tradition. I try to jump on immediate right away value, value that I think you know will be in the draft, value that I think right before that I go very, very early or I go really late. You won't see me betting a futures play in August. Um, no. I will bet it two or three days before time. I'll probably bet it when I'm live standing uh, in the Superbook in Vegas or in Circus Sports in Vegas or whatever it might be. And that's when I'll bet it because I want all the information. If you were going to bet Washington total right now, that, that's that got to drop. I don't think it's going to drop massively, but it's not just the Robinson thing. It's also the Chase Young situation. Those two combined, at least missing, let's say, at least a month, probably closer to six weeks. I, I mean, that's devastating. He went sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton with you. Here on a Super Sunday night, when we come back, we'll head over to the Diamond. One month remains in the Major League Baseball season. We'll get you up to date on the wild card situation on the other side of the break. And stay tuned. Hour 2, NFC East, or excuse me, NFC Division Previews as we make our way towards opening kickoff for the NFL season. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. And Horton wasting no time. He's going to the Duke. The Duke leads the league in saves, strikeouts per inning, and hit batsman. This guy threw at his own kid in a father-son game. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Talk some Major League Baseball here on Heat Wave Sports. Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. We are back at it next weekend. Both, both shows 
leading into our live remote on Saturday night, September the 10th at 10 o'clock from Cabo Wabo Cantina on the Las Vegas Strip, Miracle Mile Shops. They said they got a special room for us, Tom, overlooking the strip. I'm excited to see this and see who can come out and hang out with us for the two-hour show. Very cool. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I I, I love the, uh, the idea of being right in the middle of it. And you're doing live radio. People walking by. What are you guys doing? What are you talking about? <laughs> We're kind of live on the air. That's uh, that's always kind of fun. What I love is that when we're going to be on, Tim, of course, we're going to be previewing the NFL, but there's going to be college football games. on, Right. I mean, we're going to be this week is incredible. We got a ton of games on Thursday, ton of games on Friday, a ton of games on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Then I'll be there Wednesday. And then all of a sudden, here we go. That Saturday, we're going to have college football games in the background talking about NFL games going off just a couple of hours after that. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Really exciting. And there's baseball going on. Don't don't forget that, right, Tommy? You, you know, when you look at, as we turn the, the calendar here in a couple of days, we'll be one month left in the Major League Baseball season. This is the, the stretch. Here we go to teams to solidify their playoff spots. And we'll start in the American League and look at, of course, you have your division leaders in Houston, New York, and Cleveland with a two-game lead over Minnesota in the central, but the wild card looks like a lot of fun as well. Tommy Tampa, Seattle, Toronto hold the three wild card spots. The O's a game and a half. The twins are three. And then you have Chicago and Boston six and seven back. Yeah. Look, I, I keep thinking we were just talking about it. I continue to keep thinking that all of a sudden we're going to wake up and someone's going to catch the guardians. I don't believe in them. I, I just don't think they hit enough. I talked about this with a Seattle problem last night. I don't think they hit enough. I like the back end of their bullpen. I like their front line starters. I don't like their secondary starters. I certainly don't like that. Tampa Bay, much of the same. I don't think they hit enough, Tim, uh, to really be in this thing. Minnesota and Chicago can't seem to get out of their own way. While I don't think Seattle could can hit enough to put a scare into Houston the Yankees, Seattle's kind of locked into me. So we're sitting here and we're going, can someone catch the Guardians? And then you have Toronto, Baltimore, Tampa. I'm rooting for Baltimore. I don't know how you can't be rooting for Baltimore at this point. I think that they're going to get a jolt, Tim. I'm starting to look at this, and you said September 1st, all of a sudden, the rosters expand. Tampa Bay's going to get a little bit of help. Toronto will get a little bit of help. But Baltimore's going to get a jolt. Baltimore's getting the best prospect in baseball coming up. They very well could get another arm or two coming up. They're going to get a jolt. I think that Baltimore can make a run. Here is what we have to do, though, Tim. When you're talking about this, you're talking about playoffs, you're talking about the playoff push coming into September, got to look at schedules. And the Baltimore schedule is pretty brutal from here on out. But they do have all the teams in front of them that they have to face. So after this three-game set against Cleveland, home against Oakland in three, got to win those three. Right Then you get four against the team they're chasing at home in Toronto, three against Boston. You have 10-game homestand right there, Tim. After the 10-game homestand, two against Washington. Again, a layup. Three against Toronto. That's the team you're chasing. Then you come back home for seven games against Detroit and Houston before they go to Boston, to New York, and Toronto at the end of the year. They play Toronto, Tim, um, 10 times before the end of the year. They play Toronto 10 more times before the end of the year. So 
this wild card, if it is between them, is going to be decided on the field. That's kind of cool, and I like that Baltimore is going to be in this thing. Do you like the schedule, the way it sits when you when you see, um, <clears throat> just like you said, for instance, these two teams really have the opportunity to knock not only uh, one another out, but they can knock each other out just by splitting those games. Whereas you saw the schedule for next year has already come out and, and they've changed it. So the teams will play everybody next year and you'll get less of those divisional matchups. I can't stand it. I love it. I want division against division. I want to see every single team play as many games against their division rival. I want to see it one on the field, Tim. I don't like, well, you know what? At the end of the year, this team was was three games back and they had a light part of the schedule and they had an easy part. I know that everybody plays everybody. I get that. But timing also matters. And at the end of the year, during a playoff push, the fact that Baltimore-Toronto might be a neck and neck into the last wild card and they play each other 10 times in the last month of the season, that's exciting, man. I love that. You're going to play 10 times in the last, what, 30-some-odd days. That's incredible. You can't get better than that. You look at a team like Tampa. Well, they're going to be in the in the midst of playing Tampa as well, who we can't forget because they actually have the lead right now. They're going to be in the middle of playing Tampa as well. Um, well, Tampa, they play Toronto for a five-game set in the middle of September in Toronto. They play them five, a five-game set. Then they have six home games. Then they come back and play Toronto for four. So they're going to play Toronto nine times. I love that, man. I don't want to lose that. If you want to switch it up and shuffle it up and do all this, it better be in the first half of the schedule. There's no way I want to watch, you know, let's say Baltimore, Toronto, and Tampa go out there and be playing at the end of the year. The Marlins, uh, you know, the Rockies, and one team has to play the Astros. Yeah, it's just <laughs> not fair. Let them let them play this kind of schedule. The fact that Tampa plays Toronto nine times and a five-game stretch – that they play them back-to-back in Toronto, that's huge. That's going to decide that. Baltimore plays Toronto 10 times. This is going to be chaos, and I love it. In the Central, Cleveland, two over the Twins, five over the White Sox, so that means the Twins and the White Sox are three and six, respectively, out of that wild card. What the heck's wrong with Chicago, Tom? You know, I don't know. Um, I I can stem it from their starting pitching is just – I mean, it just hasn't performed. Lucas Giolito has not performed. Lance Lynn has fallen completely off the map. You look at a guy like Dylan Cease, 14 straight starts. 14 straight starts, Tim. Two runs or less, and then gets blasted in the next two starts. You're shaking your head going, what happened? They just can't get anything consistently done. You will hear all of the talk, and you're going to hear all of the rhetoric about, well, you know, let's be honest, when when push comes to shove – They were injured. Eloy Jimenez is injured. Anderson's injured. Lance Lynn's injured. It's still no excuse. And I'll tell you what. The more I look at this, Tim, the more the White Sox are done. They're not catching them. You you want to talk about schedule. Here's a crazy scheduling quirk for anybody that wants to bet against the Guardians, right? Do you know their last six games, Tim, are all at home and all against Kansas City? They have six games to close out the season against Kansas City. I don't know why. I don't know why that's a schedule. That's a weird schedule. They close out the season with six straight home games against Kansas City. If they're in a contest, I mean, wow. Now, for good for the schedule makers, six of the last nine games, including the last three, the White Sox will play Minnesota. So if they're close, they can leapfrog them. 
But no one's catching the Guardians right now. This is a White Sox problem, sure. But it's also that the Guardians just won't go away. Over in the National League, Mets three-game lead over the Braves. The Cardinals lead their division over <clears throat> Milwaukee and the Dodgers, of course, on top in the West. So the Braves, Tommy, number one seeded wild card, last year's defending champions. The Phillies, who people were looking for a, a slump after the Harper injury. That has not happened. They sit in wild card spot two. And the Padres holding on to the last wild card position with the Brewers a game and a half behind. Giants seven and a half, Diamondbacks nine and a half. I'll say we'll count them out. So really, it's a four-team race with three spots left. Tim, I know that the Mets um, have been a juggernaut. I know that they look good. If you look at Atlanta's schedule from here on out, it's a joke, Tim. <clears throat> just, just listen to what they have to face. They have the next six games against Colorado and Miami. <laughs> okay. All at home. I mean, you got to figure five and one right there. Then they go to Oakland. So they got Colorado, Miami, Oakland next three series. You do have to go to Seattle and San Francisco, which won't be layups. And they do also have uh, seven games left against Philly, three games left against the Mets. But they end off against Washington. They have five more. They have five more. Uh, so we're talking about the end of the season. Five more against Washington five more against Miami, three against Colorado, two against Oakland. You want to find a team that can absolutely leapfrog the Mets. Now, for the Mets credit, oh, by the way, their schedule is kind of a joke as well in the, I would call it maybe the easiest division in all of baseball, the, the NL East. Hey, listen, if we can do it in football, we can do it here as well. They have to take on the Dodgers. Then they get Washington, Pittsburgh, Miami, the Cubs, Pittsburgh. And they go to Milwaukee. Then they get Oakland, Miami, Atlanta, and Washington. So listen to this. The New York Mets. Let's just, just do it here. New York Mets have how many games how, how many games left? Let's do this. One, two, three. After the Dodgers. Okay, after the three games set against the Dodgers. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, they got about 30 games left, Tim, right? 30 games left. They're going to play six against winning teams. Hey. They're going to have 24 games against Washington, Miami, Oakland, Pittsburgh, and the Cubs. I like, and I think the playoffs will, it, look, it's either Milwaukee or San Diego getting that last spot. And that doesn't matter in my opinion because – they're they're not they're not the team. So you have the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Mets, right? And out of those four, the Mets are. Team Don't count four. out the Phillies, Tim. Don't count out the yeah. Phillies. I think they are a dangerous team. You give me a healthy Nola and Wheeler, one two in the playoffs with Harper swinging the bat the way he's swinging, and now a revamped bullpen with Robertson at the end. I'm not counting out Philly. I like. I like the champs, man. I like Freed, Strider, right? And I know he hasn't exactly been um, Nolan Ryan out there, but they didn't bring Jake Odorizzi in there. It's just, you know, you need that veteran guy with Morton in the back end, in the playoff experience. My worry with Atlanta, though, is is can you trust Kenley Jansen at the back end? A.J. Minter has had his problems. Um, you know, your guy, Ray Zell Glacius has got like, what, a four ERA. 
That's yeah. my worry with Atlanta. And it's the same thing with the Mets. Getting to Edwin Diaz and those atrocious trumpets and the worst entrance in the history of baseball, getting to him is difficult. The Mets' bullpen's a problem. Right now, Philly has a better bullpen than the Braves and Mets. And that's that's saying something. That's a crazy statement, but that's the truth. Well, look at it at the deadline. What did Philadelphia do? They, they built a bullpen up, right? I think nobody, nobody was talking about it except for us, but it's going to work out for them. And, and they already had – for instance, like Brad Hand, who's rejuvenated his career again. I just I, when I look at the Braves, and I, I see a lot of last year in them, in that it's it's not necessarily like so. Last year was all about Freddie Freeman and uh, his locker room and his clubhouse, and the you know the terrible start that they had, riding into an unbelievable second half playoffs. They get it done. This, you know, the, the, the beginning of the Austin Riley era, right, Tom? We saw that creep up in the second half of the playoffs last year. Now it's almost like Vaughn Grissom stepping into that spot. Swanson, Michael Harris. Michael Harris, yep. Swanson coming off um, MVP in the World Series. He's had an s- excellent season. And, they're, and, again, they're doing it without Acuna, who's hurt again. But So it tells me that the chemistry is all right in Atlanta. And I know we're, we're not overlooking the Dodgers, per se, because we know what they're doing. It's just once you get into that postseason, everything changes. We've seen that happen year after year. Well, I think with the Dodgers is this. It all is predicated on Clayton Kershaw. Because as good as Anderson and Goslin has have pitched him, who would you rather have? Wheeler and Nola or Goslin and Anderson? Would you rather have even Burns and, and Woodruff or Goslin and Anderson? Scherzer and uh, – uh, DeGrom, Goslin, and Anderson. All of a sudden, as good as the Dodgers are, 88 wins. I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. In a short playoff series, they might have, if Kershaw doesn't come off the DL the, the way that we think he will, um, they might have the worst one-two punch in the playoffs. Yeah. it's. I know I sound ridiculous to some people, but I might go Musgrove Darvish before I go Anderson Goslin, right? Just on experience. That's why I think it's all predicated on Kershaw. Kershaw comes back, and he's supposed to be back, uh, you know, in a couple of days, and, and we'll see, and he's throwing. If Kershaw comes back and he's Kershaw, that changes everything. But where it stands right now, Scherzer and DeGrom are the best one, too. Nola and Wheeler are probably number, you know, the second best. Burns and Woodruff are probably third best. Atlanta's right there. I mean, you're looking down. The Dodgers, they might even be behind St. Louis and Wayno. I mean, the Dodgers' front two simply can't be counted on and trusted right now against the big dogs in the in the East specifically, but overall in the National League. In the cards, you're right. Wayno, you got the lefty in Montgomery, who's been solid since he got came over from the Yanks, but their bullpen is set up as well. That that's something you look in the playoffs for that shortened shortened game when you go to the pen. Helsley in the ninth, Gallegos in the eighth. Yeah, I mean. They do have the bullpen as well. I think when you said Milwaukee, San Diego, you know, to me, both of their bullpens are their undoing. Both of their bullpens are shooting themselves in the foot between Hayter and Rogers, and, and that's why I look at Philly and I go, Tim, do not discount this Philly team that I think could be a thorn in the. I think Philly head to head right now can beat St. Louis. I think Philly head to head right now can beat Atlanta. Head to head, I think they would give the Dodgers and Mets fits. Yeah, no, I don't uh, don't disagree on that. I think we were looking for a Philly collapse when Harper went out. Well, guess what? He's back, and they didn't collapse, Tom. The, the, you know, the lead was 
for the division is let's put that out, but they're right there in that third wild card spot. So, I mean, Tim, look, they got, they have 72 wins with 30 games to go. You know, if they, if they go 500 with 30 some odd games to go, you know, they go 500 along the way. They're basically a 90 win team. Yeah. That's, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. 90 wins is 90 wins, right? No, especially in that division where, both, both I, I would say both the Mets and the Braves are ninety-five win teams. So. Right, absolutely, yeah. The, the Mets, I, I know people are talking about the Mets getting to hundred. I don't think the Mets quite get to hundred wins this year. Um, they'll be just underneath it. And I, yeah, I think that the, the Braves are a ninety-five win team. This is, it is not a chase for the division being nine and a half games back, but I think that they are one of, if not the most dangerous. They're the team. If I'm a Dodger fan, I don't want to play them. If I'm a Mets fan, I do not want to play this team. I do not want to play at a Wheeler Nola one-two punch with the, the reigning MVP in the middle of that order, surrounded by Schwarber and Castellanos and company. I do not want to face this team. That's Mr. Tom Barton. I'm Tim Unglesby, Hour 1, coming to a close. Stay tuned, Hour 2. It's all about the NFL as we take a look at the NFC East to leading off. And we take a look at the NFC as a whole, give you our predictions, but division by division, as we get you ready for NFL football season coming up here in less than two weeks' time. Hang on to your hats. We're coming back at you shortly. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heatwave Sports. Welcome back, Hour 2 of your Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton. Back at it next weekend, Labor Day weekend, we are here. And we will talk not only college football, big opening week, the real opening week in college football. So that'll be heavy Saturday, Sunday. We'll do the AFC in the NFL leading into week one of the National Football League regular season starting that Thursday night. Bills, Rams, Tommy will be in town to watch that one. But Tom, let me ask you a question. When when you talk, we, we just talked about it. Loaded college football schedule. Loaded NFL schedule coming up. You have baseball. You know, really, when you're looking at building bankrolls or coming into a season, determining what you're going to make your money on, I know everybody out there thinks they understand the world of sports betting, and maybe they do. Maybe there are guys that are really good, Tom. But there are also guys out there that don't have the time to put in the work. And really what we're talking about is somebody who does this for a living. That would be you, my friend, over at Tom Barton Sports. Yeah, unfortunately, we are in a day and age, Tim, where there are a lot of personalities claiming to understand sports betting that just don't, right? I mean, they they simply don't. You turn on – any number of these channels, any number of these stations, and they have guys that have sold you a hill of beans that they're, that they're doing this. Look, a true sports better is a grinder. I mean, that's what they're doing, and that's that's what I do. Yesterday, there was all the brand-new college football, all of the baseball, all of everything. Tim, I gave one play to my clients, UTEP, North Texas, under. That's it. Why? Because over the hours and hours of research that I got, that was the only real value play that I saw. TomBartonSports.com, that, that, that's what I do. Um, I'm looking now, I was looking this afternoon, 
watching film, talking to to reporters, talking to on-field reporters about Thursday, Friday, and Saturday's college football games. And I'm not calling up Alabama and my friends in Alabama to go find out if Alabama's going to cover the 40. Um, no, I'm finding out the, the spreads and the numbers. Maybe maybe the sports books missed. Maybe that, that's a real thing. And you talk to ex-sports books guys. I mention all the time, I have them on my shows, um, uh, on the SGN network. We have sports book guys on all the time. And they say freely, oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll miss a line here or there. We'll be wrong here or there because we don't care about the smaller conferences. We don't care about this or that. Tim, it's just about finding the value. Uh, I spoke about it this morning on my show. There's no value in laying 370 with Max Scherzer today, who lost Bo, by the way, one nothing. right? There's just no value in that. Even if it might have been a win, it's no value. It doesn't take a lot of research to say Max Scherzer should shut down the Colorado Rockies. But it did take a little bit of research to show that Jermaine Marquez induces ground balls at more of a rate than he has in the last three years. The Mets have been hitting more ground balls the last eight days than they have uh, at any time in the last, what is it, about eight or nine weeks. So, oh, maybe maybe you stay away from a minus 360 favorite, for example. TomBartonSports.com, I explain that to every one of my clients. Look, you sign up with me. You go right to the homepage. Um, your page is your page. So you wake up every day at 8 a.m. Las Vegas time. There's a game up with a full written explanation, and you you do what you want with it. Put $10,000 on it. Put 5 bucks on it. It doesn't matter. But the play is up there. That's how I go about this. I am a professional gambler. Professional. That's what I do. That's how I make my money. If I happen to be able to give you guys winners and you guys happen to be clients, well, that's great. I'm not here to make my money off of my clients. I'm here to make money off of winning. And then if I have a couple of clients that are winning with me, I feel good about it, Tom, uh, That at TomBartonSports.com. That's why I created this. That, I didn't create this to become a millionaire off of a client, a, a client list that is extensive. I created this to kind of give back a little bit. Hey, guys, I'm winning. Do you want to win with me? And the great thing about Tom Barton Sports is it's a set price, right, Tommy? It's not where you're calling somebody and saying, hey, how much can you put on this game tonight? That way you can gauge how much you're going to charge the guy for the pick. Yours is a set price. You know it when you go and sign up. They don't even talk to you. They go sign up online. Everything's right there in front of you. I had a guy wrote me a Christmas, uh, sent me a, a virtual Christmas card the last year. And he said, I've been a client for seven years. I have no idea. And you know, you know me, I'm, I'm all over the media. He said, I have no idea what you look like. <laughs> I have never talked to you, but I feel like we have a connection. I've been with you for seven years. It was, it was a really cool uh, virtual Christmas card. I said, yeah, I said, listen, you know, I, I, I like that connection. I like the idea that, we have been through the battles together, you know, that we have, you know, bitten our nails about wins and losses together. So that's the kind of client base that I have. Uh, the guy's been paying the same price for seven years. I've never called him. I've never asked him for an upgrade. And people just kind of can't believe that this is the way that the business is. This is the way that things are being done. Instead of, like you said, somebody ringing your phone and saying, uh, what, how much can you get down? Can you put 10 grand? Can you put 10 grand on this game tonight? <laughs> Why? So I can take 20%. No, that's not the way that I do business. If they sign up tonight, Tom, what do they get for Heatwave Sports? You know what? Here's what I'm going to do, Tim. If you sign up tonight, okay, um, I will not only give you a membership, I'm going to give you the, the email membership, which usually uh, is a little bit more extensive because I give it a little closer to game time. But if you sign up tonight, I'm going to give you that. I will give you 
until week five of the NFL. So you're going to get from now until, and you will get week five included. Five weeks of the NFL, two weeks of college football leading up to the NFL. That's going to be an extensive, that's almost two months of plays, Tim, all at TomBartonSports.com if they sign up tonight and mention this station. You heard it. TomBartonSports.com. Mention mention the show, mention the station. Tommy will find you and give you that. I'll say that's the that's the bonus package, actually, Tommy, for signing up because um, that's a lot, a lot of plays. Yeah, my usual package is 30 days. You get one one full 30-day package. That's not per sport. No, no, no. You get everything. College basketball, college football, uh, pro basketball, pro football, NHL, Major League Baseball, my futures plays, which are all right now. If you signed up right now, uh, in the next five minutes, uh, you would be able to access all of my futures plays uh, in college football, all of my future plays in Major League Baseball. You'd be able to get everything at TomBartonSports.com. Well, here we go. Let's talk about the NFL, Tom. Let's start in the National Football Conference, the NFC. And we'll start in the NFC least, as you called it a few minutes ago. How about we start right there in your neck of the woods with the New York Giants? Vegas has them around seven, seven and a half on the win total, Tommy. And when you look at the Giants, new head coach and Brian Dable out of Buffalo, came from the Bills. You have a quarterback in, in Daniel Jones who was denied his fifth-year rookie extension. So he essentially, this would be his, his contract year. He's playing for a, a new deal somewhere if it's not in New York. Shaq Barkley, we know about his injury struggles. Uh, just banged up receiving core last year. I, you know, nobody stands out. Galladay would be the guy, I guess. But he didn't even get drafted in one of our fantasy leagues. And it's a pretty deep league if you think about it. What's your take on the New York Giants? I mean, look, I like Brian Dable. I just don't think he has the pieces to win. You mentioned Saquon Barkley's constantly hurt. I still think he's explosive. I just can't imagine that this guy's going to go through 17-game season. Daniel Jones was playing so poorly this year that there was a lot of talk that Tyrod Taylor would take his job and he'd be the starting quarterback. Now, he's not going to be. Daniel Jones is going to be the guy. They have a rookie tight end that is known for blocking rather than receiving. Kadarius Toney, you mentioned Galladay. The receiving core is subpar. The offense is just flat-out subpar. There's nobody behind Barkley. God forbid he goes down. You look at the defense and you go, okay, you know, there's some pieces there. There's some nice young pieces there. But, again, even their first-round draft pick, banged up and injured, he's going to miss the first part of the season here. It's just a snake-bitten franchise that needs to move on from a mistake in Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones was a mistake. I'm telling you now, guys, I called it on the air, and you guys know that. Saquon Barkley was a mistake. I screamed and yelled for uh, not even the quarterback guys. I screamed and yelled for Quentin Nelson and, uh, and was ripped apart for it. Saquon Barkley was a mistake. Daniel Jones was a mistake. The signing of Kenny Galladay was a mistake. And it's all just culminating in the New York Giants might have a new coaching regime, but he doesn't have the pieces to coach. He needs new pieces. This should be a clean slate kind of season. Let's clean the slate. Let's clean the slate of Daniel Jones. Let's start over. Let's clean the slate of the defense, get them under their wing, and next year the Giants can turn this thing around quickly, but it's not going to happen this year. I have them in last place, Tim. I got them at about five or six wins. And I think that's you said it best was that the expectations need to be tempered a little bit in that, yeah, Dable, the offensive mind, right? But you got to give him pieces to work with. And um, when you finish 31st 
in the NFL in the last two years in scoring. It's going to take a little bit of time to, to, like you said, clean the cupboards and get the pieces you want in there. And barring just a miraculous run by Daniel Jones this year, he's gone. We have to assume that. And I think, really, they're looking at Barkley, like you said, if he can stay healthy and have a decent season, maybe that prolongs his career in New York. But he could be on the way out as well. I wouldn't be surprised. And Barkley's a guy that I see the talent all day long, but talent only amounts to so much. And we do know in a Brian Dable offense, he likes to use running backs, but he's also, how many did he use? Singletary and Moss. And, you know, he can mix and match running backs and kind of get it done with anybody. I think Barkley's a big hit. It wouldn't shock me to see Jones gone, Barkley gone, maybe Galladay gone, and all of a sudden you're completely wiping the slate clean. I agree with you, Tom. I have him also bringing up the rear in the east. But it was right there with Washington after today's news. I, I was adjusting them, but I, I think they're just slightly worse than the commandos, although that, that could flip-flop for me either way now with, with the injury to Robinson and, uh, of course, Young missing the first quarter of the season. So we'll move to Philadelphia next. Nine, nine and a half in most places for the season. Win total team made the playoffs last year under head coach Nick Sirianni. Jalen Hurts will begin his second full season, Tommy, as a starter there. In the offseason, they bring in A.J. Brown from Tennessee. Zach Paschal comes over from Indianapolis. You get the big body to Jordan Davis in the first round. But I like the defensive pickups here. Usually I'm an offensive guy. You know that, and you're the defensive guy. I like the defensive pickups in the offseason. Bradbury on the on the corner, and they brought in Kaiser White and Hassan Reddick for the linemen. I love those those pickups for Philly. Uh, a lot of people are, are high on Philly. What about the pickups for in the offseason for the Eagles? But big question mark for me is the running back position. Yeah, you, look, you stole my thunder there. I, I love the defensive pickups. I really do. It's a weird team that I like their over nine wins. Um, I, I grabbed it when it was nine. It's now nine and a half. And I, I, I'm i starting to question everything I, I know about Philly. And it's not because I don't like them. Look, I think their defense is fantastic. I don't believe, and you know my recipe for success, give me a head coach, give me a quarterback. I don't believe in their head coach or their quarterback. Now, I like Dallas Goddard. I like uh, Devontae Smith. I think he's going to be actually a pretty good player. You mentioned the running backs. I like Gainwell and Scott. I didn't even mention Sanders because I don't think he's going to get a lot of carries. I think this is a Gainwell-Scott kind of backfield. I like what Philly's doing, but I do not believe in Jalen Hurts, and I don't believe in Sirianni. So what does that leave me with, Tim? It leaves me with a team that I loved when I first took the first uh, – when the first number came out. I said, man, I'm, I'm jumping all over the nine. I like the over for the nine. I kind of like him to win the division because I like the defense. But I don't like the head coach. I don't like the quarterback, which leaves me away from going, man, I think they can win this division. I'm torn. I'm torn. I still think they can win the division. And notice how I didn't mention Brown, because while Brown could be a big addition, I don't know if I trust Hurts to get him the ball enough. Well, you love schedules, Tom. Let's talk about the schedule. And it opens up the first quarter of it. It is very, very positive for them that they could come out of this opening four-game stretch possibly undefeated they have at Detroit home game Minnesota at Washington home Jacksonville yeah they certainly can my problem is that I think Philly takes a a minute to gel Sanders is banged up in camp right now they're not sure if they want to kind of force feed him Uh, we have heard that Brown has had a little bit of trouble acclimating to the offense right away 
you know, Philly could be one of those surprise teams. That's why I like the over. I just don't see the huge things from Philly. Uh, not this year. Jalen Hurts has to show me more. More than just fantasy numbers. I don't want to hear from fantasy community, well, you know, he's a top five guy. Yeah, maybe he is in the fantasy community, but in the real world. Show me Jalen Hurts succeeding in the real, real world and winning big-time games. I've yet to see that. At least I'm not convinced with Jalen Hurts, and it goes to Sirianni as well. So I'm looking at Philly, and I'm going, you know, Tim, I, I hate to say it, but I am going to go with my initial instinct. I think Philly wins this division, but I think it gets gets there. They get there by 10 games. I, I would have told you a couple of weeks ago, I would have said 11 or 12. Just haven't loved what I've seen in camp so far. Let's move over to Washington. We talked a little bit about the commander situation with, with Robinson. Uh, Carson Wentz now will be, he gets his shot, Tommy, at being the, the quarterback here in the nation's capital for Coach Ron Rivera. So we already know the running back committee problem that they're going to have. Terry McLaurin still there. Uh, you know, really younger, younger receivers after him. Seven and a half was the initial win total. Did that move anything, Tom? And where do you have Washington now? Like I said, they're right there with the Giants at the bottom of the division for me. Yeah, I have the same thing. I think they're that they're about a five or six win team. I don't mind Wentz. I kind of like McLaren and Dotson, Logan Thomas coming back. They, they have some exciting players. It's just a lot to ask them to do more than what they did last year with seven wins. I think that their defense is worse than it was, um, and that, that should have been their calling card. I don't believe in their running game. And I don't know if I can believe in Carson Wentz anymore. I keep putting my faith in him, and he keeps putting up subpar performances. So for me, yeah, that's Washington. There's not a lot to say about that. And that'll take us to the team that hasn't accomplished much since their Super Bowl wins, Tom. But yet always, every season, they're talked about for one one reason or another. The books have them at 10 and a half. As the win total, we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys. You get the full the full Dax experience so far this year, Tommy, under under head coach Mike McCarthy now, who's got it. I mean, that job itself is a proverbial hot seat to begin with. But I, I think McCarthy really is burning here if they don't get it done. And this is a team that won twelve had twelve wins last year, so we're talking about a almost a two win drop, according to Vegas. Zeke, he was healthy last year. Can he stay healthy this year? They have uh, good young receivers. What's what's your take on the Cowboys, and, and how do you see them panning out here? I think they're worse because of their offense. This is going to be a defensive-led team. My problem is this. a lot. Everyone loves Micah Parsons, and he's good. A lot of what Micah Parsons did slowed down at the end of the year. Uh, a lot of what Diggs did is fluky. Look, interceptions are fluky. I don't want to say that he's a fluky player, but interceptions are fluky. Dallas's defense is going to be the calling guard. And I think it's good. They're going to be solid. I don't think that they're going to be a number one defense. They'll be, they'll be their calling guard. And I say that because the offense did lose a lot. Now we heard Michael Gallup's going to come back and play, but they lost Cooper, who was oh, the whipping boy there, but they lost Cooper. They lost Gallup. Their number two receiver is going to be their tight end in Dalton Schultz. I do like Dak, but I don't like their head coach. I do like their pieces on defense. But I'm not sure if CeeDee Lamb is a true number one. I'm not sure if Jolton Schultz can all of a sudden become, you know, that number two tight end. But we don't have a lot of receiving tight ends there. I don't know how much Ezekiel Elliott has left in the tank. 
And I don't know if they were ready to give Pollard the job. So I have too many question marks on offense. I think Philly and Dallas are going to be neck and neck. Philly and Dallas will both be about 10 wins. I, I agree with the lines makers there. I think that they're both about a 10-win team. Uh, I look at Dallas and they say, in a head-to-head matchup, do I want Philly at the end of the year or do I want Dallas at the end of the year? It's tough. That's why I was torn about it. I could go either way here, Tim. I'm taking Philly by a nose. Week 16, Christmas Eve, Tom. Philadelphia at Dallas, probably for the division. That's going to be a fun one. And mm-hmm. you're going to need, really, uh, most of Dallas' season is looking at as Dak Prescott. You're going to need C.D. Lamb to be the number one. He's never been the number one guy. He's never been contested like that. Philadelphia takes him away. What does Dallas do, Tim? Philadelphia decides to just take away C.D. Lamb. What do they do? Is Michael Gallup healthy enough there? Is Dalton Schultz going to just be able to carry the load? I'm not sure Dallas has that second option. Right. You're going to depend on, like you said, a healthy Gallup. Aging veteran James Washington, where are you going to – you have to think that – you know, I know everybody's high on Jalen Tolbert, but he has to do it. He has to, he's a rookie. He has to do it in the league. And this is a team that scored – they had the most points last year in the NFL. You have to think there's a regression there. And Zeke, Tom, we know we talked about Daniel Jones being in a contract year. Essentially, Zeke can be cut in the offseason with no cap hit. So a lot a lot of question marks for the Cowboys. I have them by virtue, Tommy, of I have them winning that game at home on Christmas Eve. So I have them by a game over Philadelphia to win the division. All right. Uh, hey, I, look, I, I can't argue it too much. To me, that was one of the tougher division choices. But I do have both, both um, them and the Eagles making the playoffs. So that that's probably easier to say, right? Right. That, that's that's the easy way out. Yeah. What about the North, Tim? I think we're going to be go, torn here. Let's go to the North. We'll start with uh, start Minnesota, Tom. The books have the Vikes. Nine and a half on on the the win total, and uh, you know, here's the thing for the Vikings is that every year it's about are they good enough to contend with the Packers? And last year, Tom, they just weren't. You know, eight and nine, a tough tough season. New head coach now, Kevin O'Connell. You have a new OC, obviously, and a new DC, so a completely new coaching staff, but the same tools. Cousins, another year older. You have Cook. Can he stay healthy? Jefferson, unbelievable rookie season. You have to think maybe there's an adjustment there. Veteran and Thalen. I'm curious to know what you think about that defense, though. New new coordinator and a lot of problems last year defensively for the Vikes. Well, look, you know, I like this Vikings team. I like what you just said. All of a sudden, we're going from a stagnant run-first offense to throw it all over the field. I don't know if I love the head coach, Tim, but I like the idea that they're going to use Jefferson and Thielen and Osborne. And Dalvin Cook is still going to be there, and Madison's his backup, and Irv Smith is healthy. And I'm getting excited with Kirk Cousins back there. You mentioned the D. Here's the thing with the D. Daniil Hunter is a top five defensive lineman in the game, and he missed last season. Now they get him back. No one's talking about it because who but me talks about defensive line. I think that's a massive massive upgrade. I really do. I think that you look at uh, Daniil Hunter in the middle being healthy. They have enough defense to compete because I think that this offense is just going to explode. It wouldn't shock me if Justin Jefferson had a Cooper Cup type of season. Not record-breaking to that effect, 
But if he had a number one type of wide receiver season, he could be electric in this offense. And I think that when you get to play the Bears and the Lions twice a year, and then you get to pad your record, to me, the Vikings are the real deal. I know you'll you'll have a lot to say about this next team as we move to the Windy City, Chicago Bears. Six wins last year leads to the new coach in Matt Eberflus, Luke Getze, and will bring the West Coast offense to Chicago. And Tom, the books have them right around six, six and a half wins as well. Look, you, 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 this is your team. You know them best, as I would say. Talk to me about Chicago. Look, everyone's down on the Bears. They opened up with a season win total of seven. It was pounded to the under, and it's all the way at six now. It may fall to five and a half. No one believes in this team. Nobody likes this team. But I will say this. Roquan Smith is the best middle linebacker in the game. He's coming back. Okay? Robert Quinn had, what do you have, uh, 15, 16 sacks last year. He's going he's gonna to threaten, again, 15, 16 sacks again this year. Coming off the edge, dynamic. Johnson's one of the best cover corners in the game. And their pick in Brisker at safety, fantastic move. He's going to be flying all over the field. I'm not as down on this defense as most people are. And then you go to the offense. I hear the offense has no weapons. Montgomery is a weapon. Khalil Herbert is a weapon. And they're going to run the one-two. Cole Komet is a weapon. Daryl Mooney is a weapon. And Justin Fields is a weapon strictly because of his, his running ability. I know it's preseason, but I love to see him throw three touchdowns. I love to see his preseason numbers where he was pretty good all preseason long. The thing with Justin Fields, and I talked to Rob Mish about this months ago, you go back to his college tape, and I had. He is tremendous off of the play-action pass. His entire game is based on play-action pass. I think the Chicago Bears run it all day long this year. I think it's a two-headed monster. I think Herbert and Montgomery run it, run it, run it. Short, fast, effective, quick passes to Cole Komet and Daryl Mooney. And I think the Bears have some success. Now, you look at their schedule, what is success? I think success is that 6-7 win mark. They're not a playoff team. But it, would it shock me if Justin Fields elevated this team to being a wild card contender? And that only means what eight, nine games. It wouldn't shock me. I don't see it, but a lot of people are down on the Bears where you look around the field and you go, they got a top 10 corner. They have a good safety. They have the number one middle linebacker in the league, top 10 defensive lineman uh, for, as far as pressure goes, budding stars at wide receiver and tight end. It's all coming down to Justin Fields. I, I am not as down on them as everybody else. With that being said, I still think six, seven wins is about where they live. Looks like a lot of experts are down on them in week one at San Francisco as well. Yeah, well, everybody loves Trey Lance, right? I mean, everybody's in on Trey Lance, and I'm going, Trey Lance might be something, but we know that Justin Fields was was something, right? I mean, we have seen it on the field, just as much success from Trey Lance as we did for Justin, for, for Justin Fields. The supporting cast are really different, but is Justin Fields, I'm sorry, is uh, Trey Lance ready to give a touchdown in week one on the road? I don't know about that. Over in Detroit, Ryan and Chris would love to hear our preview of the Lions. Tommy, a team led by Dan Campbell in year number two. So last year, they lose their first eight games to open the season, finished 313-1. So three wins in 2021. They're projected to win six and a half. So why is this team double win total over last year when their defense was ranked 31st in points allowed? 
Yet, when I look at the big offseason moves, didn't really see a lot of defense being added to this team, Tom. Your thoughts on the Lions? I think the Lions are a lot of product of, of hype and hard knocks and all of that, right? I mean, it is. It's fun to get behind Dan Campbell. It's fun. It's fun to look at that roster and say, hey, Swift is the guy. Hawkinson's a good a good you know tight end. Uh, Penny Sewell, who you know I was screaming about, uh, is is dynamic. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson looks really good. It's fun to kind of pick and choose. And this team covered. And people remember them competing and covering and Dan Campbell staying in games. Here's the problem. DJ Chark is their number one receiver. Okay? Let's just put a, a, a point on that. Jared Goff is still their quarterback. Yeah, let's put a point on that. DeAndre Swift cannot stay healthy. That's a problem. TJ Hawkinson has been generally a disappointment at this point in his career. As good as the offensive line can be, well, the left side looks good. The right side, not so much. Name me another defensive player on that team uh, beside Hutchinson to the general public. They have big holes on this team. They are the most bet team in the country to go over their win total. The most bet team in the country to go over their win total, which you said is more than half at six and a half. I still think they are behind the Bears. I still think Detroit wins about six games, maybe five. It's not that I don't like the Lions. I see the holes more than anybody else. Now, I still think they'll, they'll be a good covering team. You want to bet them? You want to bet them plus big money? Sure. I think Campbell's going to make them compete. I love coaching staff. But the hard knocks thing, all the money coming in on them, people are overlooking the pure facts, and the pure facts are that this team has massive holes. That will take us to Green Bay, Tom. 13 wins last year for the Packers. Vegas sets some 10.5 now this season. A lot of changes for Aaron Rodgers in the receiving core. No Devontae Adams, no Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They're replacing that with Sammy Watkins, who was banged up last year in Baltimore. In a team that with the running back situation, both Dylan and Jones banged up last year as well. So Alan Lazard, your number one receiver in Green Bay right now. Is this the year, Tom, that we finally get rid of Aaron Rodgers in that AFC North? Is this his final year in Green Bay? You know, I don't know. Um, they lost two offensive linemen, which which have to worry you. They did lose a lot of wide receivers, which we obviously know. They, My, my thing is this. No one's talking about Desarius Smith. The, the linebacker, he was the best player on that team and you know, on that defense, I should say. And, you know, he's gone. No one's talking about that. I think Green Bay is just changing their identity, Tim, and we're going to have to change with it. They're going to become a running team this year. They're going to play good defense this year. And that's something that, uh, you know, the Packers fans are just going to kind of have to live with. Rodgers will still be Rodgers. To me, Green Bay could throw the football out in this division and win 10 games and win the division. I think they do it again. I think that, I don't think they win 13 games again, but I think they win 10, 11 games, you know, 9, 10, 11 games right around that area. Um, I think that they are a playoff team yet again, but they're a playoff failure team yet again. I'm not that crazy about them losing Devontae Adams. To me, Zadarius Smith is going to be just as impactful that nobody seems to talk about. So 13 to 10 wins, Tim, that's a three-game downturn, but it's still winning 10 games. Yeah, yeah, and I think they're probably good enough to win the division. <clears throat> so give me the Packers in the north, Minnesota second. 
Uh, I'll ride your I'm Bears third. Take the Vikings. I'm okay. taking the Vikings. Packers make the playoffs, though? Packers make the playoffs. Okay. I think we're all on the right same page there. And I like your Bears over the Lions. How about that? I'll take the Bears over the Lions in, in the north. I agree. Absolutely. We'll shift over to the south right now, Tommy. Home of Mr. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bucks. Last year, 13 wins. Vegas sets them 11 and a half now. 511 points last year for the the ageless wonder now with the new head coach and Todd Bowles, familiar with him, obviously. Byron, Reflu- Byron Leftwich, familiar with him as well, Tommy. Um, <clears throat> no Gronk. When you look at it's 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 tough to handicap Tom Brady as he gets older, but you just learn not to doubt him. But is there more problems in Tampa that, than people are letting on to be? Or when you look at the division, do you think it's just the division isn't at at the point where they can can touch Tampa yet? Tim, they're losing three offensive linemen. That's massive. I think that Tampa Bay will take a pretty serious downturn, but their defense is still really good. And they still got Tom Brady which means they'll go from 13 wins to 10 or 11. Guess what? That still wins the division by like two games. I, I, I just really believe that Tampa Bay is such in such a sweet spot that that's the way that it works. Tom Brady is still going to win football games. Leonard Fournette looked fantastic last year. You still have Mike Evans. They still have pieces, and that defense is tremendous with White and David in the middle. Uh, Winfield gets the year under his belt. This team, here's what's crazy, Tim. If you took Brady off of this team, and you know how good I think Brady is, if you took Brady off of this team and you put a competent guy there, okay, a competent quarterback, they're still probably a wild card team. So with Brady being, you know, maybe this is the year he's 45, maybe this is the year he shows some stuff, maybe Tim Bay doesn't have all the electric things this year. They may not win 13 games, Tim, but I still think that they're a 10 11 win team. And he has the weapons, you know. Look, Evans, Godwin, you add a Russell Gage. I know Perryman had decent looks last year as well. Scotty Miller's underrated as far as I'm concerned. So you have weapons there for Tom to sling that ball around. Yeah, absolutely. And and you forgot my Harvard guy, Cameron Brayton. Of course, yes. So, again, the scheduling. It's a tough schedule to open the year for Tampa, actually, at Dallas, at New Orleans. Home Green Bay, home Kansas City, Tom. Yeah, I, I think that that is my concern. Brady took 11 days off for whatever reason. doesn't really matter why, but he took 11 days off. They have new moving parts. They have three new offensive linemen. My concern is that Tampa Bay could very well go one and three here, and then they put themselves beyond the eight ball. I still believe if they go one and three, Tim, I believe if they go 0 oh and four, they still win the NFC South. But it just really hurts them overall uh, to get to that sweet spot of maybe competing for a first-round bye. Over in Carolina, Matt Rule, five wins last year. Vegas sets him at six and a half for this year. We just learned this week, Tom, Baker Mayfield will be the starting quarterback for the Panthers in week one. Uh, Right now, McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey is healthy. We do know that he's healthy right now. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson back, the receiving positions. I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before and our dislike for Matt Rule as far as, I guess, being the head man there now. 
here in his third year. He's I'd assume he's on on with what we call the hot seat in a team that has to be healthy in order even for them to even contend, Tom, because injuries will kill this this team. Yeah, to me, I kept looking and I went over the entire schedule last night, so I don't want to do it again here. But I looked at Carolina. I said, man, I think they're going to compete for a wild card. And the more I looked at the schedule and the more I continued to break it down, I said, man, I like Mayfield. I like more. I like McCaffrey, obviously. I like Chin. I like Burns. I like the defense. I cannot find nine wins on the schedule. I think nine is what you need to get in. I can't find nine wins, Tim. You know, the Panthers, you said six and a half. I'll take the over for team total all day. And I think that Baker Mayfield could lead this team to being and playing meaningful games in December and, and trying to get to that eight, nine win mark. I just think that they fall a little bit short in this division. To me, they're a seven or an eight win team, not a nine or a 10 win team, which needs to make the playoffs. Seven wins was the Falcons last year. They're projected at four and a half right there. One of picked to be one of the worst teams in the league, Tom, under Art, Arthur Smith now in his second year. Ma- Marcus Mariota brought in to be the quarterback. Uh, was it Patterson or Williams? Algiers had a strong camp as well, the, the rookie. It's, it's, they're just not – when you look at the Falcons, Tommy, I look at a last-place team. Yeah, uh, Tim – Bad offense, bad defense, bad coaching, bad quarterback, bad running backs. Don't like their receivers. There's <laughs> not a lot I like about this. Uh, it's Desmond Ritter time. I mean, it, to me, it was a miracle they won seven games last year. They are going to be one of the top three picks in the NFL draft. And if it wasn't – look, if it wasn't for the existence of the New York Jets and the existence of the Seattle Seahawks, I'd say they may be the number one overall pick. I do not like the Atlanta Falcons this year at all. And then there's New Orleans. <clears throat> Nine wins last year. Dennis Allen now the head coach. So they have the coaching change coming off a nine-win season, a, a above 500 season. Everybody in the offseason, oh, I love Atlanta. I love New Orleans this year. I love New Orleans. Vegas had them at eight and a half, though, Tom. So less wins than last year for a team that everybody loves with Jameis Winston as your quarterback. What's up with the Saints? I'm completely on the other side. I do not like the Saints this year. You can't, this is the same theory that we have all the time, and I tell you this all the time. You cannot sit here and tell me that Sean Payton's one of the greatest coaches of all time, and they lose him, and they're going to be better. It, it, it just it, It's not a, a reality world, okay? I don't believe in Jameis Winston. I think Alvin Kamara has a lot of carries under his belt. By the way, still might be suspended. Michael Thomas is a head, cake, uh, head case. Chris Olave isn't ready to be the number one. I have all kinds of problems and questions with New Orleans. But my biggest thing is you cannot sit here and tell me that the, one of the greatest coaches of all time is going to leave the, the franchise and they're going to get better. No. Eight and a half is the number. I'm going under. I don't see the Saints as a playoff team. Uh, they they may crash and burn. This might be a six-win kind of game, a six-win kind of season. It could be a game here or there to send them uh, down lower. I don't think that this is a playoff team, Tim. I have this team again in that same area of about seven, eight wins. I do not have any of these teams winning nine games, which I think you need to make the playoffs. I think this one's safe to say we both have Tampa winning the division and making the playoffs, Tom. Since there's only three wild cards, that means I don't have a second team out of this division. So give me Tampa and that's it. Me neither. I I do think Carolina has a chance to finish second, but I just think that uh, it's a little bit much to ask anybody else to make the wild card here. And that'll take us to the NFC West, our final 
division in the NFC. Let's talk about, well, you brought him up. Let's talk about Trey Lance and the Niners with Kyle Shanahan now beginning his sixth year as the coach and offensive coordinator for the 49ers. 10-7 and last year, Vegas a shade under, but this year at nine and a half wins. It's, it's his team now. We already know that. Garoppolo is not, not coming back, Tom. So it's Trey or bust at this point. And you know me. I like Trey Lance before anybody that you know. I had guys on from the FCS three years ago talking about him. I I was big on Trey Lance, but I continued to tell everybody he needs the right system and he needs some years under his belt. I don't know if this is enough years under his belt. I don't love the running back situation. I know, look, you, you could plug me and you in there and we're going to run for you know 100 yards in Shannon's system, sure. But I don't love what I see. Elijah Mitchell's already hurt. Jeff Wilson was on the roster bubble two weeks ago. Now he's the number two. Uh, they're bringing in a rookie that looked good in camp. Now he might be cut. There's all kinds of things. I don't think that Debo has the ridiculous year that we saw where he's playing running back and wide receiver. George Kittle's the best all-around tight end in the game. The guy scores about five or six touchdowns a year because he's used to block too much. Their offensive line is a little bit weak. Their defensive backs are a little bit weak. Now, I love Fred Warner, and I think Nick Bosa at 14-1 to odds wins the the defensive MVP. I really do. I think Bosa wreaks ridiculous havoc. Now, a year removed from that injury, I think that this is a defensive team. We're all talking about Trey Lance. I don't really care about Trey Lance. To me, Trey Lance being in there is almost the same thing as Jimmy Garoppolo because of of the problems. I would evaluate this team almost in the same light. They won 10 games with Jimmy Garoppolo last year. Tim, I'm looking at San Francisco, and I'm going, yeah, I can see you guys winning about nine, 10 games again with Trey Lance. I don't think it overall makes that huge of an impact. The rest of the team is what I'm looking at. I worry about the secondary. I do worry that they're not going to get that kind of pizzazz that they had last year. I'm not worried about Trey Lance only because I think that Shanahan is good enough to coax a winner out of anybody back there. So is he going to make mistakes? Yes. Is he going to be the MVP? No. Be somewhere and live in the middle of being terrible and bust or great and MVP, which to me is nine or ten wins. And is not, is say they win ten? Is that acceptable in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, look to me, it's a playoff team, mm-hmm. right? And you get into the playoffs in year one. I know he's not a rookie, but I'm calling him a rookie because he didn't really play last year. You know, year one with basically a rookie quarterback. Yeah, I mean that that's it, it's all about how far do you go. Um, how far can you take this team? And I think that people in San Francisco realized that Jimmy Garoppolo had a ceiling. That ceiling was the Super Bowl, uh, but it wasn't a Super Bowl win. Now they're going to turn the page. I still believe that Trey Lance needed one more year under his belt, but I may be seeing a different tune in week eight or nine. He's not going to jump out of the gates and all of a sudden wow us. I just don't think that that is going to be Trey Lance. But San Francisco could win games that he doesn't need to wow you. That's the beauty of San Francisco. Up in Seattle, the basically well over a decade of solid playoff appearances for the Seahawks. As we're now we're adjusting to a, a rebuild situation. Seven and ten last year. Las Vegas sets them at five and a half for this season with Pete Carroll year thirteen now as the head man for the for the Hawks. So no Russell Wilson, he's in Denver. Bobby Wagner, he's at with the Rams. Carson's retired. Just a lot of changes overall for Seattle, Tommy, and I think they said it best when you set them at five and a half. You're putting them right there with Atlanta and the Giants. Yeah, to me, Seattle's the worst team in the league, and it has nothing to do with Geno Smith. Well, not nothing. It's a little to do with Geno Smith, but it, 
it has more to do with just overall. You said it. Not only did Bobby Wagner uh, move on, but KJ Wright retired. They lost their two best middle linebackers and the best players on their defense. I'm sorry, Jamal Adams has not lived up to expectations. Those are the two best players on their defense. Their defense with those two last year was pathetic, right? I mean, it was a bad defense last year, and they got destroyed in certain games. I, I don't like them, and now you take them away. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that Walker is injured. Look, Penny can be explosive, and he was at the end of the year. Anybody believe that Rashad Penny's going 17 games? Absolutely not. So you guys ready for the, you know, Travis Homer experience? You guys, you guys ready for that? Because that's coming. They bring over Noah Fant. He's not lived up to expectations. Their offensive line is going to be better than people imagine, but they just don't have it behind them. To me, Seattle's going to be a team that will be lucky to win four games. I think that this is a one or a two win team. It's going to be a bad situation in Seattle. The good news is CJ Shroud, uh, you know, go start looking in Bellevue, Washington, or in, uh, you know, Des Moines, Washington, Tacoma area. Go, go, go start looking by the Tacoma airport and all that. Uh, looking at nice houses because you're going to Seattle. <laughs> He's going to be the, the new face of the Seahawks, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, doesn't it seem that way, Tim? Yeah. Right? I mean, doesn't it just seem like Geno Smith's a placeholder? Yeah, and that's that. You can't be. There's no way Geno Smith winning this job is going to be the guy. And even if Seattle has a bad year, but it's not horrendously bad in this division. I mean, what uh, what can they possibly win? They're not winning many games, Tim. I'm looking at their schedule now. They will be favored, or, and I'm I'm giving you a very lenient take here. They'll be favored at home against Atlanta in week two. They'll be favored at home against the Jets on New Year's Day. Maybe against Carolina. So you got maybe three games that they'll be favored all year. Even if they win four games, I think that means new quarterback, new regime, move on, here we go. C.J. Stroud, get ready to go to Seattle. Two teams left, Tom. Let's go to Arizona. And the cards with Cliff Kingsbury, year four, 11 wins last year. Vegas shades them down nine and a half this season. Hopkins suspended. Kyler Murray gets the big money in the offseason. James Conner, touchdown crazy last year. I'm expecting a setback there. Hollywood Brown comes in, draft day trade. Already in trouble in the offseason. Um, everybody loves Arizona. I'm with Vegas. I take them a step back this season. Why do people like Arizona? They've done Cliff Kingsbury has done nothing but spiral downhill and fail at the end of the year. Throughout his entire career, go back to college, the same kind of thing. Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have a resume of winning at all. This team lost Chandler Jones on their defense. He's the best defensive player. J.J. Uh, Watt, I, I mean, he's older, but guess what? He's already injured. You said it. James Conner, well, he lost Chase Edmonds, who was behind him. So just keep hearing the words that I'm saying. Lost Chandler Jones. Lost J.J. Watt. Lost DeAndre Hopkins for six games. Lost Chase Edmonds. Uh, they lost more than they brought on. The Arizona Cardinals are a team that if they had everything clicking, might win 10 games. Now they don't. To me, there's a team battling and fighting and hoping to squeak into the playoffs. But at the end of the year, does anybody trust Cliff Kingsbury? Anybody. You can't. You can't trust this man to win games late. And they are they are a Kyler Murray injury away. And I say it because he's a small guy. They're a Kyler Murray injury away, Tim, from being completely irrelevant. By the way... Their, their schedule is just devastating. Kansas City at 
at Vegas Rams first three weeks, they could be three. Uh, they could be zero and three. Going to Carolina, Philadelphia, uh, then Seattle, New Orleans, Minnesota, Seattle, L.A., San Francisco, Chargers. I mean, and then you come back from the bye week. The Patriots at Denver, Tampa Bay at Atlanta at San Francisco. You might win one game there. I think the Arizona Cardinals are the big shocking failure team. Everyone's got them in the playoffs. I certainly don't. And that takes us to the defending champions, Tommy. Just a few minutes to go here. The Rams, 12-5, and five, Super Bowl champions under the genius Sean McVay. You're six now with the Rams. Vegas, 10.5, though. Shade them down a little bit. A lot of losses. In, you know, they went all in, basically. A lot of losses. Miller, Woods, Beckham, Darius Williams all gone. They do bring in Bobby Wagner, Allen Robinson in the offseason for Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup coming off record seasons. How about the Rams? Tim, I got questions about Stafford's arm. Uh, I have questions about McVay coming back with a Super Bowl team. I have questions about Cam Akers. I have questions about Daryl Henderson. I have questions about Ramsey's uh, commitment to football, we'll say. I have questions about that defense. I have questions, again, Bobby Wagner just all of a sudden become part of that defense the way that they need to. I have questions, can Cooper Cup look as good as he did last year? I have questions about Allen Robinson. What all that, Tim? Doesn't matter. Rams are winning the division. Uh, you know, all those questions will amount to just about nothing. I still have them winning 11 or 12 I have them winning the division as well, and I have San Francisco taking the final playoff spot. Yeah, as do I. Same exact thing. All right. So then who is the NFC representative on August the 28th, Tommy, to play in the Super Bowl? Uh, I'll, I'll make it easy for you on mine. Let's go back-to-back with the Rams. You know, Tim, I was I was saying it's going to be Rams-Tampa Bay all offseason. Uh, Tampa Bay lost the offensive line, and I knocked them down a little bit. I wanted to say maybe the Vikings can't go with a rookie head coach and certainly not the Packers, which led me to Dallas and Philly. And I'm kind of scratching my head between Dallas and Philly. I don't even know who's going to win that division. I'm up and down about them. It wouldn't shock me if either one of them went. So it went back to Rams and San Fran. And again, it's a, it's a Trey Lance. It's a rookie. Head, uh, no, it's a rookie quarterback. I have to go with the Rams. I don't want to, Tim. I want to find love with Dallas's defense. I want to find love with the changes in Philly. I want to believe in Minnesota. I want to think that Tom Brady will be okay with three down offensive linemen. I want to believe that it's okay. Trey Lance is okay. There's just too much with the Rams, too much firepower. They're going back, and I begrudgingly say that they're going back. Yeah, no, I agree. We all know how tough it is to go back to the Super Bowl, and so it's really we already begin behind the eight ball by putting him there, and I'm not giving up on Tom Brady either, but eventually that will run out. You know, you talk about the three offensive linemen, the, the running back situation, Fournette goes down, they're they're screwed again. So it's just probably what will happen is Dallas or Philly will be that team to just have the season, Tommy. But just looking at it from uh, this point of view right now, you have to say the Rams. Tim, I can see Dallas doing it. They have the defense to do it. Um, if, if Amari Cooper was here and Michael Gallup was healthy, I might go Dallas. I, I might because I do believe in that defense. I might go Philly. If I believed in Jalen Hurts, there's there's options there. You know, Minnesota can shock people. They really can. There's a lot of potential here, a lot of options of teams we could go with, uh, but it's just too hard to watch them over the Rams at this point in the year. I'll tell you what keeps us off the Rams or the, the Eagles and the Cowboys, Tommy. I'll tell you, I think you'll agree. Nick Sirianni, Mike McCarthy, that's what keeps us off those teams. 
A hundred percent. And that's what keeps me away from the, the Vikings because I don't know. I can't bet on a rookie head coach. There's not a lot of rookie head coaches that have ever, ever gone to the Super Bowl, Tim. It's, it, it's a handful, right? So I don't like that either. Um, I certainly don't like Green Bay. We know what, what's going to happen there. Tampa Bay's three offensive linemen. So it comes down to, for me, it's the Rams and San Fran are the safest bet. Do I take Matthew Stafford in a hurt elbow or Trey Lance and the, the youngster? I'm going to go with Stafford. Well, we did it. We got through the NFC next Sunday night, the AFC, as we get you ready for Tim, week one in the NFL. Yeah. Who, who, who is your, uh, your team to look, we know every year there's new playoff teams every year. There's teams that drop out. Who's your, uh, maybe you didn't pick it, but who's your team to watch as the new playoff team that kind of shocks everybody in the NFC. Yes. I would say it would have to be Minnesota out of those teams that are available. Tim, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say the Chicago Bears. I don't think they do it, Tim. But I can see Justin Fields taking over, shocking everybody. We're going to have a shocker. Everyone's thinking maybe it's going to be Baker Mayfield. Um, It might be. And people like the Lions. It might be Justin Fields. Tommy, we are out of time, man. So next Saturday and Sunday night, we're back at it again. Real quickly, TomBartonSports.com, my friend. Go check it out, guys. TomBartonSports.com. Go every single, go get every single play. Every single play I give out in every single sport. It's available right now. All of my future plays for the NFL are up right now. All of my future plays for college football are up right now. My plays for tomorrow are up every single day for 34 days. You get it at TomBartonSports.com. All right, Tommy. We'll talk to you Saturday night, my man. Have a good one, guys. For Tom Barton, for Ryan, Tim Unglesby, have a great sports week. We're back at it next Saturday night at 10 o'clock right here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a great week.